0: to put out an encouragement to each of us. Uh, If you look at the top of your notes, and if you didn't get one, you could grab, or or a, a study guide. Romans 5, verse 15. David, do you mind putting that up on the screen? Let's read it together. But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by the one man's offense many died, Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And you might say, okay, what's that talking about? Uh, Maybe an encouragement or a challenge. Memorize verses 12 through 15. And you see that full context and you'll see how that plays a role in uh, what we're studying uh, this evening. Well, we... uh, We've been walking through the the confession as a a way to guide us and and lead us in uh, understanding a a, a broad uh, biblical theology. And we come to chapter 6. Chapter 6, in uh, almost good Puritan form, has a nice long title. Of the fall of man, of sin, and of the punishment thereof. And uh, we, we are going to take the, a look and to see how God's decree has played out. Remember, again, we're, we're building these foundations that, that God is the sovereign creator of all things. We've seen him and his character and how that works itself out. The scripture is sufficient to reveal who God is. And then as we understand who God is, we understand who we are. And this is where we get into that who we are as he has been working We see from the beginning of scriptures in Genesis chapter 3, the fall of mankind. Sometimes I think that term, the fall, uh, connotates this accidental thing that happened. And yet, I hope we're challenged as we uh, read the confession to look at scripture and to see what scripture really says about the fall. That it was not some accidental thing. Look at paragraph 1 on the screen behind me. Paragraph 1 of chapter 6 again. Although God created man upright and perfect, and gave him a righteous law, which had been unto life had he kept it, and threatened death upon the breach thereof, yet he did not long abide in this honor. Satan, using the subtlety of the serpent to subdue Eve, Then by her seducing Adam, who without any compulsion did willfully transgress the law of their creation, and the command given them in eating the forbidden fruit which God was pleased, according to his wise and holy counsel to permit, having purposed to order it to his own glory. There in that paragraph, we can see, if you want to look at Genesis chapter 3, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, says, Now the serpent was more cunning than the beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? We see Satan's role, first of all. To be the tempter, to be the deceiver. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11.3, he says, But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. There's a deception that takes place in the role that Satan plays in deceiving Eve. But Eve has her own role. In taking of the fruit, she then offers it to her husband. What is the exact deceit? We don't know. Uh, What is her influence upon her husband in giving it to her? Giving it to him, excuse me. And then Adam's role. Some have, have asked the question, where was Adam in this? We see the text say in verse... Six. So when this woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. It seems that Adam is with her. He's not often a far country, he is near her, and he is complicit neglecting his protection duties to protect his wife. Often we think of a man's role to protect in a physical protection, but God calls us to be protectors not just in physical but in spiritual things, to recognize the the attacks of Satan coming upon our wife, our family, and ourselves, and putting a defense against those. But notice that the confession also states God's role in it. That God was pleased according to his wise and most holy counsel to permit having purposed or decreed to order it. And why did he do it? For his own glory. We've seen this previously that God in his decree decreed the fall to take place. As a result of the fall God would be more glorified in showing his mercy Upon an undeserving people. From the beginning of Genesis 3. All of creation is impacted by it. There's a great result of the fall. The fall does not leave anyone left untouched. By its impact. Recently My family and I, we were able to go uh, to the Creation Museum, and I forget if it was at the Ark or the Creation Museum, but was just reminded about how the fall doesn't just impact Adam and Eve, but it affects all of creation. That all the things that God had set out in Genesis 1, the mandate for man, meaning mankind, man and woman, to be fruitful, multiply, to subdue the earth. To care for it. That all those things were cursed. That the dominion mandate would be more difficult because of the fall. The result of the fall left ramifications so much further. But notice what paragraph 2 says. Our first parents by this sin fell from their original righteousness in communion with God. And we in them whereby death came upon all all becoming dead in sin and wholly defiled in all faculties and parts of soul and body. There's a loss that takes place as a result of the fall. A loss of righteousness. Now what's interesting is we think about this, that Adam and Eve were created and they were given perfect perfect bodies. The Scripture gives us the understanding that they had in them the ability to keep, but also to break God's law. In the sin of mankind, there was a fall and and an impact that left them different. For they lost the righteousness, the, the holiness, for they were forever stained by sin. And as their stain of sin impacted their life, it did not just impact their lives, but their communion with God. As we read in Genesis, they were walking with God in the garden. Their communion was perfect, because there was nothing separating them. But sin caused a separation. Because, again, we, we begin with God, we understand He is holy, and sin was that which God is not, and God cannot be what he is not. He, can, he must put it away. And their communion with God was different. And at the end of the account of the fall, at the, in Genesis 3.24, it says, So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. I'll probably think of something that a decision we've made that's had ramifications in a lot of different ways in our life, but nothing compares to this. The ramifications would flow out in so many ways. And there was a loss, a loss of that perfect communion with God, a, a loss of their righteousness. And sadly, with the loss came a gain. They gained something, but it's not a good gain. They gained sin. They gained sin in all faculties and parts of their life. They became wholly defiled. Not just in one little aspect. It was a a complete defilement. As Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit, who now works in the sons of disobedience. That we now walk according to the course of this world, not according to God's ways. As Titus says in Titus or Paul says to Titus in Titus one, fifteen and sixteen. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in their works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Now notice, we would think that those terms, uh, abominable, disobedient, and disqualified, would be for... The blatant sinners. But these are people who claim to know God and yet live out that because because their nature has been changed. Then in Romans 3, verses 10 to 12, say, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Talk about a a book that begins with such a beautiful picture and ends up hitting that low point so quickly that the ramifications of their sin Would leave a forever impact. They were corrupt to their core. We see that in the garden, God had given a covenant of works, that expectation of obedience, but we understand that from the beginning, man doesn't obey God, that God is the one who is the answer to the covenant of works the result of the fall left physical impacts on Adam and Eve it, they were separated from God and they were now they had gained sin we we don't understand this because we we live in a world that has been impacted we don't understand that perfection But the third point is the ramifications of the fall. That which happened as a result of that to all mankind. In paragraph 3, paragraph 2 kind of begins it, but paragraph 3 finishes it. They, meaning Adam and Eve, our first parents, being the root and by God's appointment, standing in the room instead of all mankind, the guilt of sin was imputed. And corrupted, and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity, descending from them by ordinary generation. Being now conceived in sin and by nature children of wrath, the servants of sin, the subjects of death, and all other miseries, spiritual, temporal, and eternal, unless the Lord Jesus set them free. There's a lot kind of stated here. And we're going to be seeing this in, in weeks to come as well, but to see that because of the because of the fall one of the ramifications of the fall was that sin or excuse me guilt is imputed we don't use that word very often uh, imputed the picture is that which is placed upon to something that is, is given and is given to all Adam was what we call the federal head. He stood in our place as a, as a federal representative. A.W. Pink has said it well, and I put the quote on the screen. It's a little lengthy, but <clears throat> we could spend a lot of time even just speaking of this, but I think this is a good summary. Adam acted not simply as a private person. The result of whose conduct affected none but himself, but rather that he transacted as a public person so that what he did directly concerned and judicially involved others. Adam was very much more than the father of the human race. He was also their legal agent standing in their stead. His descendants were not only in him seminally as their natural head, but were in him also morally and legally as their moral and forensic head. In other words, by divine constitution and covenant arrangement, Adam acted as the federal representative of all of his children. By an, act of all his, by an act of his sovereign will, it pleased God to ordain that Adam's relation to his natural seed should be like unto that which Christ sustained to his spiritual seed. The one acting on the behalf of many. Now again, we don't take that as gospel truth just because A.W. Pink said it. But in Romans chapter 5, and that's why uh, verse 15, kind of out of context, uh, can be misunderstood. But Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, says this. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. That's where we see that that doctrine there, that, that Adam stood in our place. And because of Adam's sin... Sin is impacted to all mankind. I, I put verse 15 because in that context it shows that sin enters by one. But the gift of forgiveness enters by one. To see those two kind of placed side by side in one verse is a, is a beautiful thing that, that the Apostle Paul has written. And we all have sinned. We have all sinned. And sin has, has entered each one of us through natural generation. What's another way of saying that? Procreation. That the sin of the fathers is passed down. As David said in Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. That the guilt of Adam has been placed upon all of us. Now notice, who was the one who took of the, the fruit first? Eve did. So why doesn't scripture say that through one woman's sin, sin entered the world? Because of the headship of Adam. The responsibility he had. That he stood in that place to protect her. But no longer are we created with a perfect nature. We have a new nature. We don't think of it necessarily as new. But it is a new nature compared to that of Adam and Eve. It is a new nature of sin. As Ephesians two three says that we, <clears throat> among whom also we are conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. That Jesus says in John eight thirty four, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Paul speaks in Romans about us being slaves to sin. We are subject to death because Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. When we work a job, we get our wages. We get what's due to us. We do an action and we get that which is due. Our action of sin gives us what we're due and it's death. Death entered the world through Adam's sin. And there's a new nature that is no longer like Adam and Eve. Really, we live in a world and we look around and we see the beauty of this world, yet it is tainted by sin. It is not the beautiful world that God originally created. For we see the, the judgment of God upon the world and the impact of the flood. And the beauty we see is just a small glimpse of God's grace upon the world. But to think how much more beautiful the creation was before the judgment of the flood. But we now have a new nature. And this is again where we must come to. We start with God. And we understand that because of sin, we see our nature, that we are lost. That we have no hope. That's why I chose that song to open our time. I was blinded by my sin. Had no ears to hear your voice. Did not know your love within. But then we see the contrast that happens. God is the one who awakens us. To give us faith to believe. We end up with a distorted view of God when we try to distort and to say, well, I'm not really that bad. We're we're lowering God to our, our level so that we can make ourselves feel good. But again, remember, we have to start with God and to see his perfect holiness. And when we see his perfect holiness, we see our own sin and the ugliness of it. That we can't just give it some other name and pass it away. But what's amazing is as, as you read that third paragraph in the confession, it, it's kind of a depressing paragraph until the last phrase. Unless the Lord Jesus sets them free. That that's our only hope is Christ. It's not of ourselves. It, we can't save ourselves. We must begin with our lostness or we do not understand the true gospel. If we say, hey, I'm a pretty good person. I just need Jesus to get me over the hump. We've created our own gospel. But our only hope is Christ. That's why Romans 5.15 says, But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. What a great hope that is, as we understand that sin enters the world because of Adam's sin. And I, re- I remember uh, in, a, in a time of correcting one of my children, uh, the child said, well, why did Adam sin? If Adam wouldn't have sinned, then I wouldn't be sinning. And I was like, well, at least there's some theological truth there. Recognizing that that our sinful nature is tied to Adam. But again, it was part of the decree of God. That in his decree, he decreed the fall to take place. But he also decreed to save. To save and to show his grace to show his glory at the end of paragraph one again having purpose to order it why for his own glory that God receives the glory even in the difficult things even in the things of sin through it all God receives the glory because he is the only one who can save us That we can't take the credit for our salvation, but Christ alone is our hope. That's that little ending that causes us to keep reading more. That's that promise in Genesis 3, the curse upon the serpent and the woman, but within that is the promise of a seed. Not a plant seed, but a child. A child who would crush the serpent's head. That answer to the problem. The answer that was foreordained before the creation of time. That answer is Christ, our only hope. But that doesn't seem like a great hope if we don't understand our lostness. That when we are left with a nature that all of our faculties are impacted, that we need salvation outside of ourselves, that then doesn't seem like anything that we really need, but we do. When the truth of God's word opens our eyes to see our only hope is Christ, what a beautiful thing that is. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I thank you I thank you that your word shares the reality of our state. That it doesn't sugarcoat things, but that your word speaks of our sinfulness. That everything in us is desirous of sin. That even from our conception, we are sinners. And we have no hope because of our own lostness to save ourselves. But Lord, thank you for the reminder of the promise of that seed of Christ to be the one to pay the sin debt for us. Lord, in the midst of the bad news, you you provide the greatest news we could ever hope for. The hope of forgiveness. Lord, as we continue to learn and grow, Lord, keep us humble before you. Like the Apostle Paul, help us to have eyes to see our sin and the the amazing grace of our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.